Lord Jesus, we just come before you. We just thank you for tonight. We thank you that we can study um, this book of Hebrews, this amazing book um, about how you are better. Lord, you are um, the fulfillment of the entire Old Covenant. Um, you fulfilled everything. And so, Lord, we just pray that you give us a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of revelation, that you would open up our minds right now, that we could learn. We ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher, God, that even as you open the minds of the ones on the road to Emmaus, you would open up our minds and give us revelation, give us insight into all of these passages, Lord, that we could actually grasp what's going on here. And we just ask you for your help and that it would ignite our hearts that we might be even more in love with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, I had the um, privilege of doing chapter 5 of Hebrews, and I think it might be good to just read it first to kind of give us all, um, before I start breaking it down verse by verse, um, Hebrews chapter 5. It's only 14 verses, so it's not too long. It says, For every high priest is taken from among men, is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, and he, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not skill, is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Okay, so that was my chapter, and... Um, I have a, some notes on the top again on the authorship, um, even though Len kind of went over this in the overview, but um, what happened is Dan found this amazing commentary called Hebrews <laughs> by this amazing 
Dr. Ironside. I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Ironside, but he's an old timer, uh, not that old time. He died in 1951. Absolutely brilliant and an amazing Bible teacher. He, he had commentaries on most of the Bible and he had even his own Bible where he wrote commentaries like a study Bible. So um, anyways, this was like an amazing find in a used bookstore for $4.99 and we got it. <laughs> So I um, actually read this while I was on my trip and learned so much. And um, Dr. Ironside makes a really strong case that Paul is the author of the book of Hebrews. And he brings out all kinds of Bible verses on this to support it. And um, so he had me pretty convinced by the time I was done reading this book. But... Um, just under the note of authorship, on the authorship again, this book's written before the martyrdom of both Peter and Paul and before the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. So probably right close to that time, right before that time. Um, church history, there's different documents that say, some say that Peter and Paul were martyred on the same day. Um, that's like a different story, but I think it's interesting um, I, I think this book could be called The Last Will and Testament of Paul to his Jewish brothers before he goes to the death for the faith. Um, his ministry was mainly to the Gentiles, but in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, we see his extreme love for his own people, the Jewish people, wishing that he could give up even his own salvation for their salvation, if that was even possible. Um, at different times in the word of God, at one time he opposed Peter to his face concerning the practice of Judaism. And he wasn't one of the 12 disciples, as we know. So in during his day, his apostleship was questioned by different people. Um, we can see that in the book of Corinthians, where they wanted a letter of recommendation because they were unsure of his qualifications. And Paul had to de defend himself. So... Um, it could be that Paul writes anonymously um, because of that. There was this tension um, with Paul, with his authority, and um, he appeals to the Old Testament saints in Hebrews 11. So he's writing to the Hebrews. Um, most of his other letters were written to, they were written to early Jewish Christians, but he also went to the Gentiles, and that was his main ministry. So... Um, he exhorts the believers to come out of the bondage of the law of Judaism in this book. Um, the temple is about ready to be destroyed, so his exhortation is really via the Holy Spirit, like he is exhorting these um, early Jewish Christians um, to not go back into Judaism, not go back into what they were used to, what they were familiar with but to cling to the gospel, the new covenant. And uh, this was a great danger of that day because persecution was seriously on the rise. Paul probably knew he was, gonna go, was going to be martyred. Uh, people were getting put in prison at this time. We can see in Hebrews 13 that Timothy, it says Timothy has just been released and no other place do we see that Timothy even went to prison. But it's from Hebrews 13, we can see that he did go to prison. And so 
the persecution was really on the rise, specifically against these Christians. And so it would have been very tempting and easy for people, Jewish um, Christians, to just abandon it and go back to Judaism, go back to what was normal and familiar to them, which is why we have a great exhortation in Hebrews chapter, chapter 6, which can be confusing to people about those who have tasted of the heavenly glory and then turned back. There's no hope for them, right? What he's saying, he's not talking about um, if you backslide, you know, then you're <laughs> doomed. He's talking about these new Jewish Christians that he's saying, do not go back into Judaism. You need to cling to Christ and move forward. And the temple is about ready to be destroyed. And so it's an exhortation of the Holy Spirit to these early Jewish Christians to stay faithful to the death. And Paul was about ready to go to the death. So we could call this letter to the Hebrews Paul's last will and testament. Um, so verse 1 out of chapter 5. For every high priest is taken from among men, is appointed for men in things pertaining to God that he might offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Okay, just a couple cross-references here in other parts of the scripture. Um, Exodus 28 says that a priest is set apart to minister to the Lord. Hebrews 8.3 says every high priest is to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Um, Psalm 40, verse 6, burnt offering and sin offering, thou is not required. I delight to do thy will, O my God, thy law is within my heart. And Hebrews 10, 9, he takes away the first, that is the offerings according to the law, in order to establish the second, the new covenant, that is his law that would be written on our hearts. So Ironside says on this, he who is God has become man. And as man, he is the prototype of what all men should be and of what all shall be, yet be who are saved through him. Um, in Revelation 5.10, we can see that he has made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth with Christ. So I'll get more into that later about how Christ was all three offices of prophet, priest, and king. And also when we follow the Lord, we are also have those same three things um, as we follow Christ. So I'll get more into that um, in a little bit. But verse 2, he can have compassion on those who are ignorant, that is the high priest, and going astray since he himself also is subject to weakness. Or the New American Standard says he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself is also beset with weakness. Um, a couple cross-references here, Hebrews 2.18. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Speaking of Jesus, and Hebrews four fifteen, for we do have a high priest, for we, for we do not have a high priest who, or we do have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Um, so again, um, just quoting from Ironside, the difference between Christ's perfect humanity and our sinful natures to us. Sin is attractive and alluring. We suffer in the flesh when we resist it. Um, with him, it was the very opposite. 
Temptation caused the Lord the keenest suffering, and it was the presentation of that to his holy soul, which he abhorred it. Um, and even to have to do anything, having to do anything with it, in the sense of temptation, caused him pain and anguish. Um, paragraph C, when we come into such union with him in our innermost being, we feel the offense that sin causes the heart of God in anguish over the souls of men and their plight. He is righteously angry at sin, death, and the devil. Um, and then I have a prayer in parentheses, and the reason why I put that in there is at one point the Lord uh, was going to be speaking at a, at a uh, church event talking on the cross, and the Lord actually gave me that prayer and he said give this prayer to the people so that they can pray this and the prayer was Lord break the power of sin death and the devil in Jesus name and it came to me so clearly and I've used it like through the years now but it's like that's the righteous anger of the Lord against those things and against his people and it's a powerful prayer we can pray over ourselves and our families so I just put it in there because it's so concise, but it just, it hits it, right? Right on the nail. <laughs> um, paragraph C, um, big letter C, verse 3. Because of this, he is required, for as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. Okay, so... Um, 1 Corinthians 15.3 says Christ died for our sins. In other words, he became the sacrifice for our sins. Hebrews 7, um, 26 and 27, for it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. And so um, Ironstein says separated from sinners is literally translated sin apart. That is, the temptations were entirely from without. He was never tempted in, by inbred sin as we are. So, um, you know that scripture, the prince of this world cometh and he has nothing in me. Um, that's what the Lord said as he was going to the cross. You know, if we ask how then could his temptations be as real as ours? Remember that Adam and Eve were sinless, but merely human and yielded to temptation. So um, number two, Christ was and is the second or the last Adam. He was tempted in the same three ways that Adam and Eve were, with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He overcame all three that Adam and Eve yielded to, and he now sits at the right hand of God interceding for us. Um, number four, Ironside, so he passed himself sinless through this life, exposed to pain and sorrow, to hunger and weariness, to trial and temptation, and entered fully into all human experiences which did not involve personal demerit, dying at last upon a felon's cross where God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. 
While there was no sin in him, our sins were made to meet upon him, and he made full expiation for all of our iniquities, that we might be reconciled to God and justified from all things. Um, So, as a pilgrim passing through a sinful world, we have a great high priest ever representing us before God in heaven and ministering to our needs as they arise from moment to moment. Okay, this gives us a tremendous amount of hope to know that Jesus is always there at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. So he's conquered, um, you know, that scripture where he says, in the world you will have tribulation, but I have overcome the world. Um, in Christ, that is true for us as well. And so um, he, he's interceding that we might be in Christ and able to overcome Temptation, even as he was able to overcome it in his humanity. Um, Number six on Ironside says, On the cross, our Lord presented the sacrifice for sins. So you know how every high priest offers gifts and sacrifices? So he was the sacrifice for the sins. And in heaven now, he offers our gifts of worship and praise to the Father. So you know Revelation 5.8, which we use in the prayer room a lot, about the prayers of the saints are in these bowls, and they're mixed with the worship, you know, and this is presented before the Father. So there's the gifts, you know, and um, Jesus himself was the offering, and then the gifts go up into heaven, our prayers and our worship mixed together, ascend this incense to the Lord, and And Jesus presents those to the Father. Um, Verse 4, the big letter D. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. Okay, so the point here is that you have to be called of God to be a priest. Um, Cross-references, 1 Chronicles 23, 13. The sons of Amram were Aaron and Moses. And Aaron was set apart to sanctify him as most holy, he and his sons forever, to burn incense before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless his name forever. So there were a couple instances in the Old Testament where people tried to do the job of the priest when they weren't um, set apart for that and called by God, but they kind of um, called, they were self-appointed. And one of them is in this situation with Korah and the rebellion um, where 250 were killed um, because they burned incense to the Lord when they weren't supposed to. Um, And a bunch of more people died too in in that story beyond that. Um, There's also a king, Uzziah, who burned incense to the Lord and instantly got leprosy. So they brought judgment upon themselves because they profaned the holy thing. Um, Ironside speaking says, um, properly speaking, priesthood has to do with the heavens. Our blessed Lord was anointed to fulfill three offices, the office of prophet, priest, and king. While to a certain extent these three offices overlap, yet generally speaking, we may say that he was a prophet on the earth his first coming. His, he is a priest in heaven right now, and he will reign as king when he returns in glory. 
Um, and just as Jesus fulfilled all, all these roles, prophet, priest, and king, so the word of God says that we also will be prophets, priests, and kings. And we can look in different scriptures for that, Joel chapter 2 and Revelation 5, 10. Um, in Christ, we also come into these, these roles. Um, big letter E, verse 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Um, when, the, the, when the son became incarnate, he was the same person that he had been from eternity. But by his incarnation, he took humanity into union with deity and so became the son in a new sense as a man born of a virgin. So that was Ironside. I thought that was really well worded about that. Um, some cross-references, John eight fifty four, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. Hebrews 5, 10, Being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So God called him. And Psalm 102, 24 is a little more obscure verse, but, Oh my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Thy years are throughout all generations. Um, Ironside says that he was God himself come down to earth in the flesh reconciling the word world to himself nothing like this is known in any human religious system it is unique because it is divine and, it is, and divine because it is unique that ma man could easily think of himself as becoming God because this was the devil's lie at the beginning um, you shall be as Elohim or as God, said the snake, right? Um, and this is all the foundation principle of all the false religious systems. But in Christianity alone do we learn that God became man, and this is for our redemption. So it's really so, so crazy what we actually do believe, the incarnation, <laughs> you know? Because it's easy to puff ourselves up and make ourselves our own God, which is what's happening in our world, right? Man becomes our own God. We see that all over. It's called humanism. But um, God becoming man, that's what we believe with the incarnation. And it's so, so amazing. All this so that he could redeem us. Um, big letter F, verse 6. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So there's two places in the Bible that refer to Melchizedek. Um, one is Psalm 110.4. The Lord has sworn and he will not change his mind. Thou art a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110 is a messianic psalm. If you read it, it's really speaking of the Lord's return. Um, where he's going to take out evil rulers of the whole world and wipe them out. It's really an amazing psalm. Um, but that's where this, this verse is about Melchizedek. And Genesis 14, 18 and 19. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High, and he blessed him. And said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tenth of all, meaning Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth. 
So Abraham had pursued his enemies and overtaken them, and he basically won a war against some kings. And then Melchizedek came out to meet Abraham, and then Abraham recognized him as having authority um, of the Most High God, and he gave him a tenth. Um, we can see from Psalm 76, verse 2, that the city of Jerusalem is referred to as Salem. So we know, you know, Genesis, this is also talking about Jerusalem. Um, paragraph B, Melchizedek is a historical person, um, a king of Jerusalem who was a type of Christ. His name means king of righteousness and um, the bread and the wine that he brought out were, they could be rations for the troops, but it's also like a sign of communion of the new covenant. Um, and then Zechariah chapter 6, it's talking about the offices of priest and king. Um, it says, Behold, a man whose name is Branch, which is the Lord, he will branch out from where he is and he will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus he will be a priest on his throne and the council of peace will be between the two offices. So Old Testament book of Zechariah is talking about the coming Christ, the coming Messiah who would bridge these two offices into one priest and king. Um, and then I have um, a handout on Melchizedek, which you won't really have it if you got the notes from the email because we couldn't really put this on there. But when you come to the prayer room, you can grab a handout. But what it is is, um, whoops. Thank you. This author, Brant Petre, um, he wrote this book called Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist, um, Unlocking the Secrets of the Last Supper. And he's a Catholic writer. Um, this actually is an amazing book, along with his book called Jesus, the Bridegroom. And what he does, he's a, he's a scholar in ancient um, Jewish writings, um, not just the Bible, but all the old Jewish writings. He's like a scholar in that. And so he's dug deep back into it and written easy to read books. These are easy to read books. He also has ones that are really um, thick and not as easy, kind of the academic version. But these two are really good. And he goes into Melchizedek on this, um, in this book. And I'm not going to read it to you, but it's very interesting. Um, in some of the ancient uh, Jewish traditions, I'll just say this. Um, Melchizedek was widely believed in ancient Jewish writings to be none other than Shem, the righteous firstborn son of Noah. According to these traditions, Shem was the birth name of Noah's son, while Melchizedek, meaning king of righteousness, was his royal title. Moreover, um, Anyways, he goes into talking about why Salem is Jerusalem and, and the significance that he brought out bread and wine for uh, Abraham. And so um, Ironside, um, 
does not think that Melchizedek is Noah's son, <laughs> though he did address it in his book. So apparently he's read some of this stuff. So it's just interesting. Um, we don't really know, but I, I like the handout. And so you guys can read it when you're in the prayer room and um, just learn a little more on Melchizedek from Brant Petre and I highly recommend these two books. Everyone should buy them and read them. Jesus the Bridegroom. He, he's really, he's just very easy to read and easy style. And he opens up so much because of the, his, um, his study on the ancient Jewish um, writings. He really opens things up in the Bible and it's, they're very good. Okay, so um, verse 7, big letter G, um, who in the days of his flesh, speaking of Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. So, I mean, this definitely kind of looks to his Garden of Gethsemane prayer for one, um, probably the major one. Um, Luke twenty two forty four and being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Um, paragraph H, verse eight. Though he was son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So, a couple cross references on this: Philippians two eight, and being found in an appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, on a cross. And Hebrews 2.10, for it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by him are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect, that is, fully mature, through sufferings. So, um, Ironside says on this, ever perfect in himself as to his character. Okay, Jesus, obviously his character was completely perfect. Um, he nevertheless had to go through the process of perfecting, I, I think you could also say maturing, um, as Savior. In other words, he could not have delivered us from judgment due to our sins without bearing that judgment himself. Though now forever beyond the reach of pain and suffering, his tenderness and sympathy are with his people in the trials they are called upon to endure. And as the good shepherd, he leads them on through the wilderness to the rest that remains and will remain unbroken through eternity, into which even now the trusting soul enters by faith. Um, I don't know if there's anything more on that, um, but I just think it's interesting that Christ had to, he experienced something new when he experienced suffering. Uh, that's just like an interesting thought, you know? Um, and he did that to show us the extent that he would go for us. Um, 
paragraph I, verse 9, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Um, we become mature, that is, perfected in Christ through obedience, especially when that obedience costs us something, and we must suffer, that is, die to ourselves for it. So, again, the word perfect in these scriptures is talking about being fully mature in Christ. Um, letter B, Melchizedek, oh, this is kind of goes under J, but Melchizedek has no genealogy in the Bible, no records. So when it says he had no father, no mother, etc., um, it, it doesn't mean that he's the pre-incarnate Christ. Some have taken it to, to mean that, but um, it might just mean that he simply appears in Scripture for a moment and then he just kind of vanishes out. So he's a type of Christ. In other words, we don't know his genealogy. <laughs> so it doesn't... Um, anyways, so there's been different thoughts on that. Like, was he the pre-incarnate Christ? Because it said he had no father, no mother. Um, most people don't think that he was, but that he was actually just a person, Melchizedek. And um, we just don't know his genealogy. Go ahead. Oh, no. Okay. This is great. Too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Christian. This is great. That's awesome. We had someone looking for the AA meeting, but they got a little bit of Hebrews too. So, um. Verse 10, called by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So, um, little letter A, both Christ and Melchizedek were called king of righteousness and king of peace. Um, and this is really interesting point by Ironside. Long before the Levitical economy had been established and a special family set apart for the priesthood, he, like Job and Abraham, he being Melchizedek, offered sacrifices as a priest to the Most High God. In the divine providence, he met Abraham and his triumphant band as they returned from defeating um, this king, whose name I can't pronounce, and his allies. It is noticeable that the king of Sodom was on his way to meet Abraham when the latter was intercepted by Melchizedek, who came to bless him in the name of the Most High God and whose spiritual authority Abraham recognized by giving him a tithe of all the spoils. So strengthened by the bread and wine administered by Salem's king priest, Melchizedek, Abraham was prepared to refuse the blandishments of the king of Sodom, representative of the world and all its impurity and debasement. I just thought that was a really interesting point by Ironside that, um, yeah, the Lord like preempted what the enemy wanted to do there. Um, and then paragraph C in Psalm 110, our Lord is prophetically saluted as a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He is to come forth from the new Jerusalem after the Armageddon conflict as a royal priest to bless his delivered people. So, 
again, it's like Abraham was a type of Christ who um, also just what that what took place with Melchizedek, Christ being like Melchizedek will come and also um, after we come through that Armageddon campaign, he will also bless us. And paragraph K, verse 11, of whom we have much to say, okay, that is Melchizedek, and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Um, so again, this is like um, also kind of making it, um, Ironside makes a point that this sounds so much like Paul because in Second um Peter, well, 3, 15, and 16, Peter's actually referring to this when he says, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, that is, he's speaking to the Hebrews, as also in all of his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which some things are hard to understand which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. So Ironside's making the point that Peter's referring to this epistle written by Paul, supposedly, about these things that are hard to explain, that is, these, this doctrine in the book of Hebrews. Um, the letter L, verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk and not solid food, which is almost exactly what he says to the, what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh, as babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink and not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are fleshly, since there is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? That's what he says to the Corinthians. It's very similar in the book of Hebrews. Um, verse 13, it says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, having been perfected or mature. Those who by reason of their senses have exercised to discern both good and evil. So um, that's pretty much the notes. Um, I'm wondering if anything in particular is standing out to you. I know I kind of blazed through it super fast. Cheryl. Wait, you have to unmute. Oh, hi. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. I wanted 